Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Get your coffee, put your feet up, and lean back, for this show promises to be a treasure. The title of the show today is When Close Encounters Are Out of Bounds. And today I'm privileged to have attorney, private investigator, and author David Queen as my guest. I'll tell you about both him and about the show in just a moment. But first, the blast from the past question. Ben Harrell, the curator of PI Museum, looks for historical morsels compatible with each show guest or topic. So here's today's question. What 1899, that's 1899 book, would have been considered the equivalent of author David Queen's The California Private Investigator's Legal Manual? And as always, the answer will be provided in the last segment. David Queen was nominated by President Reagan as U.S. Attorney, Middle District of Pennsylvania. He served as Assistant U.S. Attorney in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Special Assistant Attorney in the District of Columbia. As U.S. Attorney, he was also a member of the U.S. Attorney. General's Advisory Board. He oversaw hundreds of prosecutions, including the Three Mile Island power plant disaster and the E.F. Hutton mail fraud case, and I'm sure we all remember those. Then he was appointed as Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under Treasury Treasury Secretary James Baker. He followed that assignment by becoming Acting Assistant Secretary for Enforcement and Operations, overseeing enforcement activities of guess what, Customs, Secret Service, IRS, ATF, and the Office of Financial Enforcement. If that isn't enough, he was also an Interpol Treasury Department representative and a Federal Law Enforcement Training Center board member. David's now in private practice. He's practiced law since 1973, and he's also a licensed California private investigator. He's a popular speaker and the author of two legal texts, and, as I mentioned, the California Private Investigator's Legal Manual 3rd Edition, a book that has become almost a Bible of resources for the California private investigators. So, what do defamation, stalking, and privacy violations have in common? Whether it is the tabloids, a personal vendetta, or a spurned suitor. Defamation, stalking, and violations of privacy have similar goals, and that is an abuse attended to damage the person that's being stalked, defamed, or otherwise violated. That is why I entitled this show, When Close Encounters Are Out of Bounds. 
and that title is thanks to my friend and private investigator, Barbara Burr. David Queen is with me today to discuss the details and the laws we all need to know about these thorny topics. Welcome to the show, David. Good morning, Francie. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, my but, pleasure. And first, before we talk about these topics, I would love to hear why you decided to leave government service and go into private practice. Well, as much as I hated to, to say goodbye to the fun, and it was a lot of fun, you know, the reality struck. I was a, a presidential appointee, and it was nearing the end of President Reagan's second term. There wasn't any assurance that um, his successor would be likely to reappoint me. And I had been with government for 16 or so years and decided it was time to get my feet wet on the on the private side. And uh, so I jumped ship and have been on my, well, I joined a firm, fairly large firm in Baltimore, Washington area, mm-hmm. was there for several years and then went out on my own in the late 90s. Uh, and relocated to California in 2000, and I've been out here since then. And when you, the firm that you were uh, that you associated with first, was that a civil firm? Um, it was. It actually did a little bit of everything. I was uh, a partner in the litigation department, uh, but the litigation department tended to be the litigation arm of the other departments. So we had a very large health law department, and before you know it, I was doing civil and criminal defense work uh, out of the litigation department on behalf of uh, the health care department because the health care attorneys, for the most part, didn't do trials, and they certainly didn't do criminal trials. So if we had a health care provider who was in trouble criminally, I ended up defending them, and <clears throat> that's how I ended up sort of backing into criminal defense work, although the bulk of what I do now is civil. That's what I was going to ask you is what you specialize in now. Right. It's um, for a variety of reasons, um, uh, not the least of which is monetary. Um, Civil litigation and civil defense work uh, has just become, you know, kind of my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. A lot of my practice is divided between health care representation and representing private investigators, which is kind of a complete... uh, uh, oil and water because the two have next to nothing to do with one another. But. Yeah, and, and private investigators have cases filed against them, too. All the time. Um, I've, I've been involved in defense work, sometimes through the errors and omissions insurance carrier that a private investigator might use, and then sometimes just personally on behalf of the PI. And the other thing I do a fair amount of is just field calls from private investigators who, uh, to their credit, call, they look before they leap, and I will frequently get calls from a private invest- from private investigators saying, you know, clients ask me to do X. What do you mm-hmm. think? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it high risk, low risk, mm-hmm. so on and so forth? In some instances, I'm able to give them a categorical answer, don't do it. And in other instances, as with lots of legal advice, uh, the best I can say is there is a level of risk. Here's what I think it is, and Use your best judgment. Mm-hmm. And I and I know that we bombard you with calls. There's no question about this. Yeah, um, I get a lot of them. And is that why you decided to write the uh, legal manual for private investigators? Well, what happened, Francie, is, um, and this goes back 
the first edition of the book came out in 2005. So in about 2003, I guess it was, give or take, I got a couple of calls really rather serendipitously from private investigators, I think chiefly because I'd been a former United States attorney and they figured, you know, it would make sense to call mm-hmm. somebody like me. And I'd field the question and I'd say, well, let me check on it because no matter how I've been practicing, you often have to do research. And so I'd say, let me get back to you. And I figured, well, I'll just get a, I'll start with a good legal manual. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for one and there, there was none in existence anywhere. Interesting. Uh, least of all, one, you know, geared toward California private investigators. So I, you know, I accumulated the research on a couple of questions and I thought, oh, foolishly, I thought, well, I could knock one of these out in no time. And of course, 18 <laughs> months later, you know, the first edition was finished. Uh, and then I've updated it. Uh, twice since. It's not intentional, but it's worked out to about every three years. So the second edition came out in 2008, and then the third edition came out just last month. Yeah, yeah, and it's fabulous, and it's a great resource. And I, I guess you found out that uh, the laws were more complicated than they looked at first blush. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I say I naively thought, oh, well, this won't be all that much. <laughs> um, but it's it was a colossal undertaking. And then... Um, I no sooner published the first edition, and then some PIs would say, oh, hey, Dave, you know, what about this area, which wasn't in the book, or what about that? Or someone would say, I really like this, but I wish you had expanded that, you know, discussed more about this particular issue. So I just started accumulating questions and looking for changes, you know, watching for changes in the law, and after a couple of years, decided it was time to update. And then the same thing happened just recently. And sure enough, as soon as the third edition was published, I got a call from a PI who asked me a question on a topic that's not in the third edition. So that Uh-oh. means the fourth edition will be coming out in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, I'm so. happy to hear that, actually. And yeah, I should mention right here that uh, if any of our listeners who happen to be private investigators also, if you ever see a, a conference listed where David Queen is speaking, don't miss it, because he... I've. I can't, I can't even count how many times I've gone to his seminars, and I've learned something every single time. It's fabulous. Uh, thanks very much. If I could, just partially as a plug, but also just to save your listeners some annoyance, um, the book is available on Amazon, but for reasons that I don't understand, you have to slog through the first and second editions of my book to get to the third, and, and those first two editions are still out there. Mm-hmm. So if if you go to look for the book on Amazon, make sure that you look for the one that's titled The California Private Investigator's Legal Manual, Third Edition, and the cover is in black and white. And I, each time I come out, I have a different colored cover. Um, so make sure you get the right one because you don't want to pay good money for an out-of-date version. Yeah, and I, and I ran into that after you told me that. I looked for it and, it was the same, and I ran into the same problem. So I, right. It's kind of weird, but... Uh... So, so listeners, be sure that's the third edition, the black and white cover. Yes, unless you're a collector and you want all three for some some reason. You want to compare what you wrote the first time versus the third time. Yeah. All right. So today we're going to talk about stalkers, violations of privacy, and defamation. So let's, I guess let's talk about defamation first, David. Um, All right. What is that? What is defamation? Defamation. is the broad term that covers slander and libel. And slander is the oral version of defamation, 
libel is the written version of it. And defamation, in, in its simplest terms, is a, a false statement. It has to be false. Okay. Uh, that tends to injure the, the, the subject, and it can injure them in any number of ways. Um, in fact, what I'll do is, just for simplicity's sake, um, try to look here in, in my own book and just try to read you the, um, the definition. It's because what happens is, in a lot of instances, uh, the law that controls, in fact, I'd say 90% of the laws that control California private investigators are California state laws. There are a fair number of federal laws that would apply to any private investigator anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but every state has its own laws. I mean, beginning with if you need a license and if you do, you know, what you have to do to qualify, and it varies widely from state to state. Defamation tends to be the same everywhere, but there are nuances. And I'll just um, just read you right from the Civil Code, the California Civil Code, Section 46. Um, and it, it basically states, it's a false, unprivileged publication by writing, printing, picture, effigy, or other fixed representation, and this is libel, which exposes any person to hatred, contempt, ridicule, obloquy, or which causes him to be shunned or avoided, or which has a tendency to injure him in his occupation. And among the things that the California says are what's called defamation per se, and that means if, if you do one of the following, it is automatically classified as defamation, and that's accusing a person of a crime, mm-hmm. imputing the existence of an infectious disease, mm. accusations which tend to injure a person in a business or trade, or has a natural tendency to lessen business, and the last is imputing impotence or a lack of chastity. Uh, mm. That last one is rather quaint and some would argue is <laughs> seriously out of date, but it's still in the law. So Interesting. those types of things, but, you, but be, remember, it begins, it has to be false. So a true statement that somebody committed a crime is obviously not defamatory. Well, uh, you know, David, um, a lot of times... There may be um, elements of truth in a statement, but the entire statement isn't true. What do you do with those? Well, you've got, I'll tell you where it's the, the toughest. I mean, and I know you've listened, to, you know, I, I talk about defamation a lot when I do presentations on report writing because that's a place where a PI, I mean, a rubber meets the road at some point. The PI can do all the research and all the surveillance he or she wants to do, but at some point you've got to report it. Mm hmm. And you either report it verbally to your client, which could potentially be slander, or you put it in a report, which could potentially be libel. Where it gets the easy part is you do a background check and you find out that John Smith has a criminal conviction. And the, what I recommend in those instances is if, if you are confident that it's the same John Smith that you've been hired to investigate, then you can make that statement and attach a copy of the record, and you're in good shape. But what, you, what happens frequently is, is that you might do some research and discover there's a John Smith with the same middle name, same date of birth, with a conviction in Florida. And the last thing you want to do is categorically state it's the John Smith the client is interested in. Mm-hmm. So the, because if you're wrong, 
you've just committed defamation per se because you falsely accused somebody of a crime. Interesting. Um, so what you would want to simply say is, you know, in my investigation, I was able to locate someone of the same name, date of birth, with a conviction for X in Dade County, Florida, but I have been unable to determine positively if it is the same John Smith. Exactly. We then need you're to off, a, we need then to you're off the hook. Where it really gets tricky is when you conduct an interview and you go out to interview somebody, and I know PIs, you know, PIs do that a lot, you know, whether they're interviewing uh, witnesses to an accident or you know, doing criminal defense work or whatever it might be, <clears throat> or even a background check. What do you do in a situation where, let's say, you know, Francie Kaler PI goes out and she interviews Susie Jones, and Susie makes some fairly serious accusations against John Smith? Can you hold that uh, thought, David? Yes. We need to take a quick break. Um, that's David uh, Queen, attorney, private investigator, and author. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. And private investigator David Queen is my guest today to discuss the laws surrounding stalking, defamation, and privacy violations. And we were just discussing specifically defamation. David, you were giving an example that I cut you off in the middle of. Right. Uh, I was mentioning that records checks, you actually have several things about records checks that are different from interviews. I mean, one is the record speaks for itself, and if you attach it, especially if you include a a routine disclaimer that you cannot guarantee the accuracy of all information mm-hmm. that you compile, you can limit your exposure, your risk for, of committing defamation dramatically. But when you get into the area of interviews, uh, it gets really quite dicey. And the example I gave, you, you know, Francie Kaler, PI, goes out and interviews Susie Smith doing a background check on John Jones. Mm-hmm. And Susie gives you an earful. You know, John Jones is a drunk, Uh, he's a womanizer, Um, he, uh, you know, he's a habitual liar. I mean, she just really just unloads on the guy. So Mm -hmm. you're dutifully writing all this down, um, and you go back, you start to put together your report, and you say to yourself, you know, this is, you know, I don't know if this is true, Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty damning stuff. Maybe true, may not. And the question then becomes is, well, what have you got? Well, if it's false, Susie Jones has committed slander because she has made a false statement to someone, namely you, mm-hmm. uh, and potentially could be liable for the damage caused if you repeat it to a larger audience. But that's not going to do you any good because all that means is she's going to be your co-defendant in a defamation trial. I see. So... What do you do? You can't just say, well, all I was doing was repeating it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, under California, under the Business and Professions Code, private investigators are by statute expressly required to not file false reports, but also to not fa- uh, file uh, reports that are negligently inaccurate. So BSIS, the Bureau of Security and Investigative Services, expects PIs to exercise some degree of due diligence. Mm-hmm. Now, what I recommend, and this is, you know, some PIs will give an oral report to the client. Uh, in rare cases, I suppose the client will say, I never want an oral or a written report. I only want an oral one. Um, and you're talking and about an attorney client. An attorney client or even some, you know, even some, you might even in a fidelity check, you the the husband or whoever's doing the checking may say to you, I don't want you to put anything in writing. Just call me on the phone and tell me if, you, you know, if my wife's cheating on me. Right. Um, or I want you to do, and, and they may be afraid that you know, the report will land in the wrong hands. So you may get somebody, and I, I know you know this is true increasingly, especially women will do background checks on guys that they're interested in because they want to make sure they're not getting involved with some psycho or some bunko sure. artist. Sure. So they might call you, and, and they're a little embarrassed, especially if everything turns out fine. The last thing they want is for the, for the checkee to discover that they were skeptical. Right. So you, may have, you may have an oral-only report, but 
we'll put that aside for the moment. My advice for any private investigator is to include in the original fee agreement a disclaimer that says, you know, we rely on information from witnesses, third-party agencies, government databases, and we cannot, it's often not possible to verify the accuracy of the information. And then you repeat that disclaimer in every one of your reports. So the report where you summarize the Susie Smith interview about John Jones, you would, you would open, you know, you'd have the caption, however you want to lay out your report, mm-hmm. to, from, subject, etc. And then the very first thing before you get into the body of the report, you know, the information in this report uh, may come from, and then you'll list, you know, third-party witnesses, databases, government, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we're not always able to verify the accuracy of it. And the use of this information, you know, you use it at your own peril. Now, that will help you, but it's not exactly a complete inoculation. Let me ask you a question about that. If, Say, for instance, the statement from the witness uh, said, John Jones always lies. And right. when you're interviewing them, you say, well, give me some examples of that. Give right. me some illustrations. Uh, and and they give you some anecdotal kinds of statements. Right. Um, does that cover you? Well, it, it it shows that you're at least not just being a scribe. Um, I mean, you have when someone says to you, "John Jones is a drunk, and he's a womanizer, and he's a you know he's an habitual liar." You can write all that down, but. I think, first of all, just out of thoroughness, and your client would likely expect it, and it would also help you, is if you, you go back and you break it down into pieces so that if the, investi- if the uh, person has said, let's begin with, he's a drunk, mm-hmm. you go back and say, okay, you said he's, he's a drunk, he's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. What do you base it on? Right. And she might say, uh, well, you know, everybody knows that I've heard it from lots of people. And then you begin by saying, okay, have you ever seen him blatantly intoxicated? And if she mm-hmm. says no, you take note of that. Um, and at some point, you can in the report say, you know, she made the accusation but was unable to back it up. Uh, and therefore, you know, there's absolutely no basis for, for me to conclude that her negative comments have a basis in fact. Now, if she says, I've seen him intoxicated on half a dozen occasions, you know, and you'd say, how many times have you been with him? And she said, half a dozen. Mm-hmm. Okay, then you, you, you note that. Um, sure. But what, what you want to do, anytime, anytime you get into something that fits within that definition of defamation, you begin with the general disclaimer, then you secondarily attempt to test the veracity, the basis for the witness's statements, mm-hmm. um, so that the statement may, on its face, what you may learn from this interview is not that John Smith is a drunk, but that Susie Smith is a crabby, complaining <laughs> whiner who has, you know, you may learn more about her than you do about him. Who has a personal vendetta against... Exactly. That's nice talking about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and, you know, one of the things that you can do is if, if the uh, if the information is highly uh, incendiary, um, <clears throat> then it may it may behoove you to orally report it to your client. Mm-hmm. Keep the notes in your file and say, 
um, you know, and, and obviously make a note that you orally reported to the client and also orally reported to the client that, A, it's highly negative, and, B, you can't begin to verify it, uh, then, you, you know, then you're in a better posi- position to say, you know, my advice is let's not reduce this to writing um, because of two things. One is if, if we turn potential slander into libel and I provide a report to you and then you rely and you share that report with somebody else, what happens is everybody in that chain gets pulled in, it really gets pulled in because the person who committed the slander, your witness, you have now turned her slander into libel and you have, quote unquote, published that to your client. If your client turns around and shares it with 10 people, he's now published it to 10 people and potentially John Smith's damages are growing exponentially. Now, if that, though, was uh, entered into some kind of a judicial procedure, then isn't there a litigation protection? There's what's called, in fact, you'll remember, I'll just reread the one sentence very briefly, and you picked up on an important point. Libel is a a false and unprivileged communication. Oh, uh uh-huh. And there's what's called a litigation privilege. And a private investigator who is working on behalf of a client, either through an attorney or directly with a client, in anticipation of litigation or in actual litigation, has um, a pretty significant privilege. And the privilege, it, it's, a, it's really a misnomer. It should say, the word really should probably be immunity, mm-hmm. that, that you are immune or protected from a claim of defamation, even if you defame the person. So, for example, if you have been hired by an attorney in preparation for trial in an accident case, and the the defendant driver is John Smith, mm-hmm. and there are accusations that John is an habitual drunk, that's highly pertinent to the litigation. Um, and you can include it. I'd still put the disclaimer in, but you can include it in a report uh, to to the attorney or to the to the victim client, and. If John Smith is late, later able to prove that that was defamatory, i.e., it was false, uh, you are, you and your client and the attorney are very significantly insulated from a claim of, of defamation. Hmm. But there is no litigation privilege, if, for example, if you're simply hired to do a fidelity check. I see. Okay. So one of the things you want to do and want to make sure you, you paper your file, a private investigator wants to do, is you know if the investigator is hired, and let's whether it's by the client or the attorney, you should always ask uh, you know what's the what is the end use of my information, and that's it can be very very relevant. And the example we can segue at some point into stalking. Yeah, uh, let's let's hold that because we need to take another commercial break. Okay, folks, that is David Queen, attorney, PI, and author of the California Third Edition of the Pride Investigators Legal Manual. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALIC. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is former U.S. attorney and private investigator, California private investigator David Queen, to talk about privacy violations, defamation, and stalking. And, David, you were just about to give us uh, an example of stalking. In con- yes, well, concerning. what I was mentioning, frankly, what the, the segue was is that if you should, any private investigator should ask a client, why are you hiring me? Now, sometimes it's obvious if a lawyer calls you and says, I want you to assist in some preparing for litigation. But the reason you want to know that is, you note it in the file or in your fee agreement, or preferably both, because that becomes the first piece of evidence that allows you to invoke the litigation privilege if there's a later claim of defamation. And in the case of stalking, uh, and stalking is not the only way a, a PI can be misused, but another reason to always ask, why are you hiring me, is mm-hmm. you want to note it in the file, because as we were just commenting on the break, you know, unfortunately, clients do lie. Okay, sure. And the, you know, the, the, the example that has been talked about at many of the lectures that I've been involved in, and you and I've talked about this many times, and that is the client who comes to you and says, I want to find my old high school sweetheart, mm-hmm. and you take it at face value, and it turns out what he's really interested in is tracking down his ex-girlfriend and killing her. Correct. Uh, and obviously he's not going to tell you that because, you know, if you've got a brain in your head, you're not going to work for him. In fact, if any, you'd probably report him to the police. So 
whether it's uh, you know an innocuous civil case or a, a skip trace uh, f- finding you know somebody the non-custodial parent whatever whatever the claim is uh, you, you always want to be the PI always wants to, to have somewhere in the file the, the client's explanation for the intended ultimate use of the information because as I say in the case of defamation you're protected if the if the stated intended use even if it doesn't come to a trial is litigation mm-hmm. and in the case of a non-litigation uh, hiring you want to you, you want the record to reflect that you at least asked what do you intend to do with this information and David, and, how do you recognize a stalker? What what would you say would be the red flags? Well, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, of course, and I've never played one on TV. <laughs> um, but you know, I did a, I spent a lot of time as a as a federal prosecutor in cases where defendants claimed mental disease or defect or outright psychosis or insanity. Mm-hmm. And the shrinks that I you know that I worked with on the government side would would tell you that uh, stalkers and people like that tend to be, they tend to come across as tightly wound, often, you know, outwardly agitated. It's no guarantee that they'll behave like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but also just asking a few simple questions uh, about, what was what's your relationship with the person you want me to find mm-hmm. and just see if the story holds together you know when did you last see her you know why did the two you know did the two of you break up or did you know did you you know enlist in the army and you know i mean they may have the, who knows what the story will be right. but you know it was you know we just separated in high school and now i'm divorced and i can't stop thinking about her and you and you say oh okay but you want to get as many facts as you can and the reason you want to nail down the details in the story is first to see if the story makes any sense to you, if it passes the sniff test. Mm-hmm. But secondly, for example, if he says, oh, she's my old high school sweetheart, well, what, what's one of the first things you're going to ask? Well, where'd you go to high school? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, you, know, what was her, you know, what was her name in high school? And do you remember her birthday? And what did she look like, et cetera, et cetera? And then as you begin to do your investigation, if the facts that pop up don't match the story he told you, a red, a red light ought to go on. And a good test is uh, telling the person, the potential client, that you're not going to be able to give them any information about that person and how to contact them. You would have to have their permission first. That's right. It's, a, it's become a fairly common uh, form of protection that PIs employ, and a smart one, uh, where someone is is looking, you know, for somebody where you you think there's at least the possibility, even if the person doesn't come across as as a stalker, looks like a totally normal individual. Um, there's always the possibility, and what you what a good PI will do is you don't wait until you found the person and then says, well, I found her, but I'm not going to tell you where right, she is. Right. It's got to be right up front, and you say to him. For, for reasons, and please don't take offense, but this is our policy, and it's the policy of most sensible private investigators. You tell us who you want to want me to find, and if I find her, a I will let you know, and b I will tell her or him that Joe Jones uh, 
described, you know, has hired me as your former high school boyfriend or he admired you from afar, you know, he was the football player and you were the cheerleader, whatever it might be. And he'd like to get in touch with you. Would, would you, are you willing to speak with mm-hmm. him? And if she says, no, I don't want anything to do with him, that's the end of that. And you go back to the client and you say, I found her and she is not interested in making contact with you. Oh, by the way, you still have to pay me. Right. Which usually comes as a shock to these people. And that's why you've got to tell them right up front that that's, uh, that's how we do things. And this, this could also apply in instances where someone says, you know, I'm the custodial parent and my dirtbag ex-husband, uh-huh. you know, had our, our, our precious little Becky over the weekend and he didn't bring her back. Um, well, maybe, maybe she's telling the truth. Maybe she's not. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, oftentimes, you know, you, in, in, depending on the claimed reason for the hiring, you know, you ask for questions, you know, you ask for documents, you know, a copy of the custody order mm-hmm. or, you know, a, you ask your, your prospective client, you still have your high school yearbook. If you do, it'd be great if you could give it to me. It's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things, things such as that. The other is, that, and this question has come up a couple times just recently. I've been called by PIs. Um, and in one instance, the, the PI said, my client was very upfront with me. He said there's a temporary restraining order against him uh, that was obtained by his, whether it's his estranged wife or estranged girlfriend, doesn't really matter, but some Mm -hmm. woman got a restraining order through a judge basically saying that Joe Schmo um, is prohibited from getting within 500 feet of, you know, Susie Jones. Right. And so the PI will say to me, and, and, and so the guy comes to the PI and says, I can't. I can't go near her, but I think she's, you know, I think she's an unfit mother, and I think she's hanging out in, you know, uh, uh, dope dens, and she's shacking up with all sure. sorts of guys, and my little girl is being exposed to this, and I, I can't prove it because I can't get within 500 feet of her. Will you do it for me? And, you know, I had a PI just literally within the last month call with that exact scenario, and mm-hmm. said, you know, what can I do? And I said, well, I said, you know, kudos to him for being honest with you and telling you there's a TRO. The, the lesson there is really twofold. If you can always ask if he says, you know, my girlfriend and I broke up and I want to get back together or whatever it is. You can always just say, are there any court orders that I should know about, specifically any court orders prohibiting you from making contact with this person? If he says no, well, you write down no. Uh, now, that's not to say you can't do a quick and dirty records check because sure. temp- temporary restraining order, usually within a couple of weeks of being signed by the judge, makes its way into the clerk of court's public record index. Interestingly enough, with these budget cuts, I've been reading that the time between a court order being signed and making its way into the public records is getting longer and longer now. That's scary. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, you might there might be a TRO in effect for three weeks and and so, and it's still not showing up in the records, mm-hmm. but you can do a records check. And the other good thing, of course, for a private investigator to do that, it's further proof of your good faith due diligence. Right. And if you do a records check and there's no TRO, then you know your your client has, has told you the truth. And that's one less thing to concern yourself with. Obviously, if you find a TRO, you know two things. Your client's a liar and there's a TRO. Uh, both right. of which should probably prompt you to call him up and say, thanks, but no thanks. 
uh, you know, I'm not going forward with you because I, I can't work with somebody I can't trust. Sure. Um, but, you know, the issue, and you were asking about stalking, and stalking and harassment are very, very closely aligned. In fact, in California, they're mentioned in the exact same statute. Um, and I'll just try to see if I can get the definition for you here. Oh, yep. stalking. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll just read it. It's in the, it's, it, and it's, it, it is a crime. And it's in the penal code, section 646.9. And I'll just read verbatim. Any person who willfully, maliciously, and repeatedly follows or willfully and maliciously harasses another person is guilty of the crime of stalking. And that now, could mean... Email, letters, personal contact. Surveillance. Surveillance. Anything, really. Right. I mean, if you're doing, you know, and I've had this come up occasionally, and as, of course, as I, as I say to PIs, if you are following somebody, presumably you're trying to not be seen. <laughs> Preferably, yes. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could have, if you had an open surveillance where you made no attempt to conceal your behavior, you're getting dangerously close to harassment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but if you are surreptitiously following somebody and you're, you're doing a good enough job that they don't know they're being followed, then you're not in much danger because it requires that the person being stalked be in fear. I mean, you can't very well say, I didn't know Francie Kaler was following me, mm-hmm. but I was scared anyway. Right. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, now, some people have tried to say, well, I didn't know she was following me, but after I found out, I had a nervous breakdown. You know, and that gets, right. that, that's, a, that's a wholly different thing. It doesn't constitute stalking. Um, but it, it, and I told me I'll just go one other step here, because the courts say that when you do that, it has to include what's called a credible threat to place someone in reasonable fear for his safety or the safety of his family. But harassment is different. It doesn't require that... It's, stalking and harassment exist separately, basically. Mm-hmm. And harassment is defined as a course of conduct directed at a specific person which, quote, seriously alarms, annoys, torments, or terrorizes a person if the conduct serves no legitimate purpose. Okay. All right. So... You can have somebody be alarmed, annoyed, tormented, you know, or terrorized. So any one of those. And of course, um, what what's alarming and annoying is, to some extent, you know, kind of subjective. I mean, you know, what you might find annoying, I might ignore, and vice versa. But the the operative thing for a private investigator is the no legitimate purpose language. Okay, we so, need to take another break, David. Okay. Um, I just let me just say um, that if people are interested in to learn more about stalking per se, uh, there's a book called The Psychology of Stalking: Clinical and Forensic Perspectives by a person uh, author J. R. Malloy, M. E. L. O. Y. The Psychology of Stalking: Clinical and Forensic Perspectives. Stay tuned. More to come with David Queen and the answer from the blast from the past question. Yeah. 
news, opinion, and Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. 
We're back with the answer to our Blast from the Past history moment. And then I'll get back to my guest, David Queen. So the Blast from the Past question was, what 1899 book would have been considered the equivalent of author David Queen's The California Private Investigator's Legal Manual? And the answer to that is, and David, I know you love this, uh, in 1899, the equivalent would have been The Detective Law Book and Practical Advisor was published by the Webster Detective Library in Indianapolis, Indiana. And it was 128 pages. And the table of contents are fun because it looks like, it really looks like uh, kinds of things that we would look at today. And under the general, um, the definition for detective, under general, the topic, table of contents, general detective laws, this is the legal definition. The detective has been legally defined as a quote, private agent, an unofficial investigator of crimes and civil manners. matters. His function is simply to investigate, examine, unravel, and detect crime, and the exercise of this function depends only on his own skill and experience. He has no special privileges at law and is under no official restrictions. You know, Francie, I could have used those exact <laughs> words in my most recent book, and it'd still be uh, apropos and accurate. Isn't really that funny? Ha- it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, before the break, we were we just started to talk about this issue of a legitimate purpose exception to stalking, and it's very important to PIs. Um, there are about six states, California is not one of them, which actually by law exempts PIs from stalking laws. Interesting. In, in California, the burden is on, well, it's hard I'm not sure exactly how the, who the court would put the burden on. Probably the burden would shift to the private investigator to prove that he was engaged in what's called a legitimate purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, the, now, the good news is there is a 2007 California case which deals with the issue of stalking and the legitimate purpose exemption. And the court said that Ordinarily, surveillance by a licensed investigator, absent something more, is a legitimate purpose if it's in furtherance of gaining information intended for a lawful objective. Mm -hmm. So if a private investigator is hired to follow uh, someone and that person becomes alarmed or annoyed because they... They, they see that they're being followed and they, and they panic because they don't know who it is and they, and they allege harassment. If the PI is licensed, is engaged in a surveillance, and the intended use is legal, then even though the behavior might otherwise constitute stalking or harassment, okay. you're off the hook. All right. Um, and, of course, that gets... Again, that gets back to when you get hi- when you get hired by the client, you want to find out what his intended purpose is because if the purpose is, is sketchy, it may not be lawful, and if it's not lawful, then that exemption is not available to you. And you know, David, what looks like I'm just getting a notification from my engineer here on the show, and looks like we've run a little over, so we only have about a minute left. Um, okay. We haven't even talked about privacy, although many of the things we've talked about today are um, violations of privacy as well. Right. Well, California 
is one of the states that in its constitution recognizes an individual's right to privacy. Interestingly, there's nothing in the, the word privacy appears nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. But in California, it's there, and it is probably the underlying basis for 75% of what restricts a private investigator's behavior. Okay. Well, we're, you hear the music, we have to go, and I'm sorry we could go on for hours, I think. So um, if you want to know more about David Queen, uh, he can, if you can Google him, it's David D. Queen, attorney at law in Pasadena, California. If you want to order his book, uh, it's the California, uh, the third edition of the California Private Investigator's Legal Manual on Amazon.com. Next week, my guest is private inve- investigator Miriam Edis Enschelmeyer, coming to us from Durmstein, Germany. So tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.